Hey everybody, I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Bridge Goldsboro. Today is kind of an exciting day for me, and I think it is for a lot of people around here. Uh, one, we are ending up our series today on investing in forever. And today we're going to have the opportunity to do something that's big and that's amazing and that God is going to bless in your life that we've been talking about. But the whole idea of this investing in forever, people ask me, what is what is that about? How do you invest in forever? Well, it's this God idea that we're not going to live on earth forever, right? And that there is something afterwards. And, and, and statistics say Christians, non-Christians, religious people, non-religious people, everybody has this something in them that wants to know what happens after I die. And, and we understand that, hey, there is something called eternity after we die. We know we're not going to live here forever. And the Bible t- says that one day we're going to stand before God. And as believers, we're going to stand before him, and we are going to be rewarded based upon what we did here. Now, we could never earn salvation. We could never earn our way into eternity with God in heaven. Jesus accomplished that. He is our living hope, as we just sang. Um, But the Bible is clear that God does give rewards based upon what we submitted to him here, what we disciplined ourselves to do here. And so the idea, uh, and and I gave this illustration on week one, so I'm just going to briefly describe it and then kind of leave it up here for you. But the idea uh, is that this rope kind of illustrates what eternity looks like. It's just, it it never ends. If you could just imagine this rope never, it never ends. Let's just pretend like it went on forever and ever. Now it really ends right over there, but let's just pretend for a minute that this this is forever and ever. This is uh, the millions and millions of years that we're going to exist eternally, okay? And this black part right here represents the time we're going to spend on earth. We all know that we have a few short years on earth to make decisions and do things. And then, and then comes this. And sadly, a lot of people just make decisions and invest primarily on what they're going to do here. And so everyone kind of looks for retirement, which is probably right somewhere in there. And we work, 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 and we just we invest everything to right there. And we all know we're going to die. We all know we're not going to be here forever. And then, and then this. And so we just we, 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 we try to read and, and glean from what the Word of God says and say that, hey, we can actually do things. We can actually make decisions here that invest in this. And so we think it's kind of foolish. That's the Bible. That's God's word to us. Uh, it's foolish to invest in things that aren't going aren't gonna to leave this part here. And, and we act as if and we do things as if this is, this is all there is. And so this idea of investing in forever is, hey, what if we read the word of God? What if we applied it to our lives? And what if we submitted ourselves and disciplined ourselves to do things in this life while we're here that actually made a difference in how we spend this? Does that, does that make sense? And so I'm just going to leave this here for you to stare at it um, because it's a really cool rope. And I hope you just see yourself in eternity. Uh, all throughout the the message today. But the the fact is, is that we've been talking about things that we can do here to invest in eternity. One of the biggest ways that we can invest now into what's coming is something called generosity. Did you know that, that generosity, among all sorts of other things, was a result of God's heart for you? And in fact, it culminated in love, the Bible says, when he gave Jesus his only son, for you. And we have the ability to be generous, not because we're just good people, but our ability to be generous actually stems from what God is. Our, our ability to be generous stems from God's generosity. He invented it. It's who he is, if, if I could use that, that word. So we don't have any other example of generosity besides God. How did he give? 
What was generosity in his heart? That's, that's kind of the, the question that we're going to talk about today. There, there was a story of a man who walked home from work every day, and as he walked home one particular day, there was, there was another gentleman holding up a sign that said, need help, you know, I'm in trouble, this type of thing, anything you can do to help. And so the guy's walking by, and he immediately feels pressure, you know, that feeling that sometimes we get, and, and I don't know if I should or shouldn't, and he's just going to buy booze with it, and, you know, all this kind of stuff that goes through our head. And, and, and so he feels reluctant, but yet at the same time he feels pressure, and he whips out a tin, and he kind of gives it to him and kind of half grins and, and walks home. And then the next day, he picks a different way to go home, so he doesn't run into the same guy. And so what we begin to realize in situations like that, when we hear those types of stories, or maybe situations in our own lives, is that, is that generosity is not about an act of giving. But generosity has everything to do with the heart we give. It's my attitude while I'm giving the gift. It's not the gift itself, but generosity is, is kind of defined as what is my attitude doing while I'm giving. Today, we're going to be bringing an offering fit for a king. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, um, and we've come for a celebration of giving. And for some of you today, you know, you, you're going to be tithing for the very first time, maybe, or tithing for the first time in a long time. For others of you, you are bringing a gift of generosity over and above the tithe today. Um, and if you're new today, if it's your first day, don't freak out. Uh, you know, we're not going to just make everyone stand up and you have to do it. Uh, at the end, we are going to give together. If it's your first time here today, you know, we want you to relax. We want you to enjoy the service today. Um, if God lays something on your heart, obviously that's between you and him. But as far as we're concerned, uh, you have the, the privilege and the freedom to sit right where you are if you want and enjoy the service. Uh, but the fact that we, we know that the Bible says that God sees the tithers, he sees the ones giving generously, and he, he pays attention to it and he sees it. Not just the gift, but he sees the attitude behind the gift. He sees the heart behind the gift. Generosity isn't just the act of giving, but generosity is the attitude I have while I'm giving. Paul was this guy in the Bible. He wrote a lot of, of New Testament writings in the form of letters, and he would write them to the churches to instruct them, sometimes to tell them, hey, you need to do things different. And one of the things he said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he speaks to us today. He says this, he says, but since you excel in everything, he says, you're excelling in faith, you're excelling in speech and knowledge and complete earnestness. And he said, and in your love for us. He said, you're doing all these things. And he says, but see to it that you also excel in, the, in this grace of giving. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say excel in giving because we, it's, it's not about just giving the gift. He says excel in the grace of giving. He says you're good in, this, in, in the grace of being able to give. And, and the word grace in the original language there, it means this divine influence on the heart. He's saying excel in giving in such a way that there is a godly influence happening in your heart as you do it. It's not all about the thing you give. It's not all about just the action, like the guy throwing the $10 bill. We can throw money at lots of stuff. We can throw time and energy at lots of things. Is that generosity? It may be giving. He says, but there, you have to understand that we want you to excel in the grace of giving. We want you to understand that there is a heart set behind giving that has everything to do with generosity that the gift may not. And so I, I want to kind of camp out today because we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to give in a little bit. We're going to come up here and give offering fit for a king. Some of you may have uh, found these gold-colored envelopes in your seats last week and got one the week before maybe. Um, and this is what, what we do this once a year and we give. And today, a lot of you are making commitments today. A lot of you are giving the tithe. A lot of you are trusting God's word. A lot of you are, are, are giving generously. And when we give, it's sometimes if we're not careful as human beings, I'm capable of it too. We, we give and we just want to give the number. We just want to give 
the gift. We just want to say, I did my part. We just want to say, you know, there it is. And sometimes our heart may or may not be exactly where it needs to be to be generous. And so today I, I want to kind of define that for us so that by the time this, the end of this service is over and we give, that you've heard very clearly what it means to have a heart of generosity. So Jesus tells a story in, in uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to kind of camp out here. And, and maybe you've heard the story. It's about a guy who's traveling down the road. He's, uh, he's walking down the road, traveling, and, and he gets beat up. I mean, he gets beat up bad. These robbers come. They just kick the ever-living daylights out of him, uh, MMA style. They leave him for dead, steal all his stuff. And he, you should just imagine him maybe unconscious on the side of the road. It's not funny. I don't know why I laughed when I said that. Um, but in addition to him, there are uh, three other characters in, in the story. Um, and we're going to look at the lens through their attitudes, through the, the people's attitudes when they're there with this guy. And what is their attitude when they have the, the uh, opportunity to be generous? And the reason why we're going to look at their attitudes is because Jesus told us to evaluate. He actually told the listeners of the day, and it's in God's word, so he's speaking to us as the church today too. And he said, I want you to evaluate their attitudes, and I want you to see which of their attitudes identify with where you are when it comes to being generous. And so he's talking to everyone there, and this is what he says in Luke 10, 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Now, the original language means being a friend or being Christ-like. A neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. So let's look at this story. Let's evaluate the three attitudes, okay? The first character was the robbers. They're the ones that actually, you know, robbed this guy and, and beat him up. And Jesus included them in the mix. Which of these three? So we're going to look at them too. And, and this was the robbers' motto. This was it. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Basically, I'm not satisfied with what I have, and I'm going to take what you have. And there's nothing that you can do about it. I want to get more. And so Jesus talks about what the robbers did in the story. So verse 30, it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So what, what was the robber's attitude? It was greed. It was, it was simply greed. I want what I want. I want to get it now. You can't do nothing to, anything to stop me. And it may be yours, but I am going, I'm going to get it now. I, I'm, I'm just sure that these pro are probably the, the only people on planet Earth to ever be greedy. <laughs> no, they're not. You know what I mean? I think there's a reason why uh, coveting your neighbor, don't, not doing that, made the top ten commandments. You know what I mean? When Jesus said, don't, don't covet. Uh, there's a reason why Paul, talking about that guy that wrote the letters in the New Testament, when he he instructed us to learn to be content with what we have. Why did, why did God tell us to do these things? Why did he instruct us this way? Well, because generosity does not come natural to our human selves. Can we just be honest about that? It doesn't. You know what does? Greed. Greed comes naturally. A couple chapters later, after Jesus gets done telling the story in Luke 12, 15, he, he says, look at, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Why did he say that? Well, because we have a propensity to be greedy. We have a temptation in our lives, very naturally, to be greedy. So he says, watch out. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. But boy, oh boy, do we feel like it does. I mean, there is something about a new car smell that when we smell it, we get happy, right? Our, our society tells us that if you want to be happy, get more stuff. And so but by nature, we feel like we have to have things. But yet Jesus said, look, a person's life's not measured in how much stuff they have. 
But we get bombarded with the message that says, yes, it is. And we all have the propensity to do it. Um, That new car smell may smell like Hawaiian breeze. But then what happens inevitably is this bill comes once a month, about every 30 days or so. And now it smells like the breeze from a bank office. (laughs) Just give me all of your money. And, And we have this... We realize that it doesn't last, right? It's just it's this temporal thing uh, on, on this earth, and, and it doesn't last. Uh, but what's true is that we're wired to feel like stuff makes us happy. It, it's a form of greed. It is. Um, I, uh, a couple years ago, I was getting my oil changed uh, in my truck service, and I asked my dad to come pick me up. I said, would you mind doing that? I got work to do, and I, I, don't, I can't wait. He said, yeah, sure. So while I'm checking out, he's checking out the trucks on the lot. And I'm going, what do you do? Stay here all day. I, I need to go. And uh, I love my dad. We have a great relationship. And he says, test drive this one for me. I said, Dad, you don't need a Titan XD diesel truck. And he's like, just, just, I'm not going to buy it. I just want to, I said, okay, whatever. So I'm getting in the truck with him, and we're headed down 795, and we're in the front seat, and I'm looking at this truck. It gets kind of quiet, and we're just kind of cruising, and I'm looking at this truck, and he kind of pauses and just kind of braces the steering wheel. And I hear him go, I deserve this. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, doesn't need it. He deserves it. You see the, the language there? Um, and I just kind of laughed, and I thought to myself, well, I figure when I pay my house off, I, I can probably say things like that too. Uh, my dad is, is one of the most generous people, but my point is, is that we are all capable of giving into the mindset that we have stuff and that we have to have stuff to make us happy. Uh, these robbers in the story, they, they took greed a step further. They did, but it started with something that we're all familiar with, with greed. I want it when I want it, and when I want it, I'm going to get it. I'm going to have it. So their attitude was greed. When faced with the opportunity to be generous, they chose greed. Okay? Was, was a priest or a Levite. Now, this is kind of the modern-day pastor, okay? So the pastor's there, and uh, their motto was this, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Their motto was this, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Now, that's, that's typically where we all live. That, that's probably the attitude that we're most tempted to have. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. So I want you to get this picture now. The guy's beaten, he's been robbed, he's left for dead, he's on the side of the road, and here comes a pastor. Now, what is the pastor going to do? That's, that's the thing. We're all thinking, man, we already know what the pastor's going to do, but let's listen to what Jesus says in the story in verse 31. It says that the priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. <laughs> so he just avoids him, and we're all thinking, that is crazy. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but at least the pastor should, right? The pastor should do something. And Jesus is like, so even the Levite, even the pastor, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And we look at this and we're like, well, he didn't steal anything. He didn't, he didn't contribute to the man's misery, but he didn't do anything to help either, did he? Nothing. His attitude was this, and this is going to hit us right in the chest, selfishness. It's not my problem. I didn't, I didn't contribute to that. There's somebody else that can help them. That, why should I have to stop? I've got this going on. Selfishness. We can call it what we want. We can pretend it's something else. We can justify it however we want. At the end of the day, it is it's selfishness. And let's just let's be honest. We all start out there. Every one of us start with selfishness. In this life, we start with selfishness. Have you ever looked at the toddler's approach to possessions? Let me just read this for you, okay? This is the toddler's approach to possessions. By what? By all of us were toddlers at once. If it's mine or if it's in my hand, it's mine. If I had it first, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. 
If it's on the floor, it's mine. If it's in your hand, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If it's broken, you can have it. <laughs> that's, that's the toddler's approach to possessions. That's what comes naturally to each of us. Generosity only comes supernaturally. It only happens in our spirits because it challenges us. Have you ever looked for synonyms for generous? You see words like big-hearted, open-handed, charitable, giving. And then if you look for words, uh, antonyms for, for being generous, uh, kind of the opposite of generosity, you see words like tight-fisted or miserly. Miserly. You ever heard of that? You, you know what words come to mind, what the root word uh, is? You think of words like misery and being miserable. You want to know why? Because being miserly gets you nowhere. It doesn't. Being tight-fisted, hoarding, being, having that selfish attitude, it, it, it gets you absolutely nowhere. There was an old miser back in the day, and this is a very affluent guy. He was, he was loaded, like we would say, you know, and, and he, he hoarded all his stuff, never gave, never did anything. He just, he felt security in having. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And he, he got to be on his deathbed, and he told his wife, he said, listen, I, I want you to liquidate everything I've got, and I want you to put it in my casket with me when I die. I don't want anybody having it. I've worked too hard for this. And so in time, he died a short while later, and, and the wife, and that word kind of got out. Everyone sort of knew what he had said. They knew what kind of guy he was, too. And so at the funeral, the wife walks up to the casket and, and kind of leans over the casket, and everyone's watching. They're waiting. What is she going to do? And uh, after the funeral was over, probably not the best time to ask her, but they did. Did you actually honor his wishes? And she said, yeah, I did. I wrote him a check. <laughs> That's funny, but let me tell you what the truth is, is that we all fight the urge to be selfish. Every one of us do. I, I think that's why Paul, the guy writing the, the letters of instruction to the New Testament church and to us today, I think that's why he said in the Philippian letter of chapter 2, verse 4, he says, don't be interested in, in only your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Don't be interested only in yourself, but be interested in other people. Not just throw things at them monetarily or time, but actually be interested in them to the point that generosity is a byproduct. The only way to fight selfishness is to give until it hurts. If you've ever worked out, you know that in order for your muscles to grow, you actually have to break them down. You have to lift enough to break down your muscles so that they'll actually say, hey, we need to make more of us to lift what he's wanting us to lift or she's wanting us to lift. And so your muscles break down. It hurts like crazy. No pain, no gain. You ever heard of that? It applies lots of areas. And then your muscles grow. So when you think about your, your generosity muscles in your spirit, your, your giving muscles, if you never challenge the, 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 the unction to not give, if you never challenge that when it's beginning to hurt you, if you never do anything to challenge that selfishness, you'll never grow an inch in generosity. When you give, you can throw all kinds of stuff at people and things, but when you give till it hurts, that's when generosity has an opportunity to take root and begin to grow in you. When you give your time when you don't want to. When you give an ear to somebody who really needs to empty out and you don't want to be there because you've got things to do and you may, not, may or may not even like this person, but you're, you're fighting the urge to walk away. But when you, when you do what Paul said, I'm going to be interested in this person, not just myself, and you fight that urge and, and you say, I want to really hear what you have to say. When, when you give your resources, when you're fighting the urge to only think about you, that's when you have the opportunity, not just to give, but to have this attitude of generosity that Paul talks about and that Jesus talks about. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud of the way we give around here. Not just in terms of, of giving to the work of the church, but in the way that this church gives of its time, of its talent, 
of its resources and affluency that we have, we, we give. We give not only to the community, but we give to things around the world. Um, it, it takes lots of volunteers to make this service go. There's people that, that give of their time. It takes lots, let's just face it, it takes lots of dollars to make a church like this go in a way that reaches people for Christ the way that we do it. It, it takes that, and, and you guys do it. We give, and we, we help the community. You heard Cassie yesterday talk about, or, or earlier, talk about one of the many things that we do in the community uh, this past week, giving to veterans, taking our time, taking our resources, and going and giving. That's just one of the, the many outreach things that we do around here. But the attitude in which we give, that's, that's where it really matters. That's what honors God. He sees your heart when you give, not just the gift. The robber's attitude was greed. The religious guy's attitude was selfishness. What's mine is mine. I'm going to keep it. I work for it. Then he says this, this third guy. Jesus is continuing the story. He says, then this other guy comes along. And it's, it's a Samaritan, Jesus says. And we've all heard the good Samaritan. And we kind of, well, you need to be a good Samaritan. And we kind of get our little cliches from that. But what, what you don't understand is Jesus was being very strategic in picking a Samaritan for this story. <laughs> because... The, the Jews around that area, the listeners that he would have been talking to, they hated Samaritans. There was some bad blood between the Jews in Samaria, Samaria and the Jews and the rest of Israel. There was some bad history there. It had to do with the temple they wanted to build versus the temple that they felt like they needed to worship at. There were some, some outsiders that came in, invaded, and they, you know, got married with outsiders. And so they weren't considered pure. And, and so they, there was this hatred there. They would walk around Samaria just to get to the other side of it, add on days of their journey just to keep from walking through and, and, and connecting with these people, from seeing them, from touching them. That's how bad this was. And Jesus, yeah, the Samaritan, he walks through. And you can just see in your mind's eye, everyone listening, like, what? And their ears perk up. After he had just said, hey, the priest, the guy that you guys think is the religious leader, yeah, he just left him for dead. But then here comes this, this Samaritan. And he, he just grabs their attention. And he's the one that had a different kind of motto in, in the story. And this is what Jesus said. What's mine is a gift, and I'm going to share it. That's, that, that phrase isn't necessarily in the scriptures, but this is the attitude of what the Samaritan had. What's mine is a gift, and I'm going to share it. It's the heart behind Jesus' message. Listen to what Jesus says about him in verse 33. He says, but then there's a Samaritan. And as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word there literally means he was filled with compassion. See, he was filled with something different about his heart. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on the oil and the wine. And then he took the man, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Now, two silver coins, imagine taking two full days of wages for yourself. Add that up in your brain. That's what this was. These two silver coins were two days wages. And he gave it to the innkeeper and said, listen, I want you to take this, look after him. He said, and I'm going I'm to come back later. And when I come back, I'm going to reimburse you even more for any extra expenses that you had. His attitude was obviously completely different than the robbers, obviously completely different than the religious guys. But maybe you missed what his real attitude was. And that's kind of what I want to hone in on for a second right here, because there's an attitude that comes with generous, uh, a generous heart. Now, you may be thinking, well, his, his attitude was generosity. No, he, the, generosity was a byproduct. The attitude was gratitude. He was grateful. 
He was grateful for what he had because he knew what he had was a gift. He knew it wasn't his. He knew ultimately that, that God was his provider, and he was grateful for that. So when people are grateful, when they have an attitude of gratitude inside of them, they have no problem giving of their stuff because they know that the God who made them and is the ultimate provider for everything they need and want will provide and will stand true to his promises. And when you have somebody like that, there is gratitude that's there all the time. God, thank you for my stuff. Thank you for providing for me. Good times, bad times, high times, low times, sideways. It doesn't matter. I know I have a provider that's looking out for me, and I live in gratitude knowing that Jesus Christ is my living hope as a Christian today. And so when it comes time to give, I'm like, well, yeah, if you need it, if this is, obviously you're strategic about giving, and you plan sometimes to do it, but I have no problem giving because I know that I can't outgive my heavenly Father who ultimately provides for me. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude always gives way to generosity. Back that up. Ungrateful people, they view giving as losing their stuff. I'm going to lose this, and the, the less stuff I have, the less I am, because I'm measured in how much I have and how much I work for. Ungrateful people, when they don't have that, that connection and the self-awareness of knowing that I'm grateful to God because He is my provider, they, they become ungrateful. They live ungratefully. And so they view giving as I'm losing my things. Ungrateful people also view giving as I can't wait to get. Because there's this law in principle in the scriptures that says, you know, you ever heard what, what you sow, you're going to reap? And, and it's in Corinthians. All this stuff is, is kind of taken from the scriptures. But it says when you sow generously, you will reap generously. And so ungrateful people, they, they focus on the reaping part, and then the giving becomes about the gift. It becomes about just the giving. It becomes about the number. It becomes about, well, if I give this much, then God will be responsible for giving me this much. And if God is true, it just becomes about, about what's going what's gonna to happen at the end. My giving here is not just a means to an end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's being ungrateful for where we started. And, and my giving is not in the right attitude. Do you think there was anything probably in the flesh of that Samaritan that said, hey, I want to stop and help this, this Jew? No. But his spirit said something else. I'm grateful because I know who my provider is. I'll put him in my own donkey. I'll go put him up in this hotel. I'll give two days wages away and then promise more if he spends any more on him. Not because I feel like I'm rich and affluent, but because I'm generous and I'm grateful for what God's done for me. And I know anything that I give, I can't outgive my heavenly father. Grateful people give generously because their attitude is simply that. It's grateful. And they know that. And God will provide. God will always give. I, I love the ways in which God proves himself. He, he proved himself to a teenager last week. I heard this story last week. I, uh, we were talking about tithing last week and, and uh, the week before, talking about being generous and living for eternity. And, and this teenager said, I want to tithe for the first time. And so this person brought their $5. It was their tithe for the week and put it in the offering plate. And it was so interesting because after church was over, she found five bucks in the parking lot. <laughs> So if that was your $5, I'm sorry, I, you lost it, I don't know. Uh, but the point of the matter is this, God proved himself faithful. It, it may seem like something simple, it may seem like something small, but God was showing somebody who was just starting with their pliable heart to trust in these principles. He was showing them that, you know what, I, 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 you can't outgive me. I am true to my promises. I can't tell you that every time you give, that all of a sudden God's going to turn around and just give it right back to you. I can't tell you that. Sometimes God works things in some timing that is given to you at just the right time and blesses your socks off. But what I can tell you is this, God always backs up what he says and he will go to the ends of the earth to show you that. Every time. Gratitude always gives way 
to generosity. Jesus thanked God. He was, he was thankful for his heavenly father and what he had in him. And what was the result of Jesus? He, he gave his life. He gave everything he had. Do you think he gave that thinking that maybe God wouldn't do what he said? But three days later, we, we sang the song. He came out like a roaring lion, overcoming death, overcoming the grave. He trusted and was grateful that God would provide for him. And now you know where Jesus is? He's sitting in heaven at the right hand of God. You may say, well, he was God. He knew that. He was 100% human, being 100% God as well. But he had a flesh nature, and he had to battle the same temptations you and I face. He went into that grave and trusting and being grateful for his heavenly Father. They understand things like, like Psalm 112 and 5. Good will come to those who are generous. But grateful people understand Proverbs 11:25 that a, a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And, and I, I can't stand up here and say words in a language that you understand that will convince you of that. You have to test that out for yourself. But I can promise you that the word of God is clear that you can't outgive him. You can't. You just simply can't do it. And when you give out of a grateful heart, when you give generously because your attitude is saying, God, I am grateful for you, and I'm going to give, I want you to stretch me, Lord, then God will prove himself to you. He, he's done it time and time again. So I, I just want to go back to Jesus' question in this story. When, when Jesus asked them, which of these three were a neighbor to the man? Wh which of these three did something Christ-like? Which of these three did something in, in being generous in gratitude? Maybe perhaps the, the bigger question is, is which attitude represents you today? Which attitude represents me? Is it, is it greed? Is it, I got to have it when I want it and I'm, I'm willing to take it? Is, is it selfishness? Is what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it? Or is it gratitude? The Samaritan's attitude was that. It was gratitude, and he, he made a commitment. And that commitment that he made to be grateful and to be generous, it cost him something. Remember, he, he told the innkeeper, look after this guy. Look after him, and I'm, I'm going to give you two days' wages now, and when I come back, I'm going to give you whatever extra expense that you may have had. But let me tell you something. The benefit outweighed the cost for eternity. He was doing something here on this planet, and you know what? That far outweighed this. He did something here, but he's reaping rewards for it in eternity for millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And that's, that's just a word we put on it, but there's no time in heaven. It's just going to be for eternity. What will you do on this planet that invests in forever with a grateful heart, with a cheerful heart? Would you commit today to be grateful as you give? God, God wants you to be grateful. He wants you to be generous as you give, but he wants you to commit to that. Commitment is such a big thing. I, Pastor Jim, I love the way he says, any relationship is only as strong as the commitments that hold it together. That's true for personal relationships. It's true for marriage. It's true for our church. Commitment. I'm going to commit to give. I'm going to commit to be generous. I'm going to commit be, to be grateful. You know, you want to know the power of that? You want to know the power of commitment? Let me just give you a, a couple of illustrations real fast. 1776. Okay? Go back in your, in your minds out of 1776. Some of you were there. All right, let's do it. Here we go. 1776. That's a total joke. I'm totally kidding. 56 men signed a document called the Declaration of Independence. It changed the world. And this is what it said. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance 
on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And they pledge. You know what the result of that was? The most powerful, most influential nation in the world. They didn't have a clue that that was going to do that way back then. But it was the power of commitment. That's what happens. In, in 1918, last example, 1918, 100 years ago, there was a, a small group of people that met under a brush arbor in Princeton, North Carolina, just down the road, and they committed to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost was. They said, we are going to commit. You know what the result of that was? Something called the Bridge Church with four locations, with 2,300 people attending regularly and 32 missionary partnerships around the world. Do you think for a moment that that group of people, that small group of people in 1918 had a clue what their commitment would do? History teaches us over and over again, it doesn't take a lot of people to change the world, but there is the power in something called the commitment of a small few. And in that same type of, uh, type of, uh, of commitment, you can make a commitment today to actually make what you give today mean something more than just throwing something in a basket. You can, you can tie yourself to the promises of God. If you're tithing for the very first time today, give gratefully, knowing that you are obeying God's word and that he will be true to his word that says he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't contain. He does that to a grateful heart. He does that to a heart that, that says, I want to be generous, God. If you're giving over and above the tithes today, maybe that's, what, maybe that's what you're doing today. And you've met maybe around a table and talked with your family or your spouse and said, what are we going to do? And, 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 and you wrote a check out or you wrote something out that, that says, God, this is stretching us. I want to challenge you that don't just come up here and drop it in a basket. This is not about giving to a church. This is about your blessing in your life and God stretching you and changing you and becoming a, a person that's generous. God, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. If all it was was about meeting the needs of this church, then I would just tell you, hey, we got these great needs and this is what it's about. And hey, let's all rally together and do it. And I'd be the first one in line. But it's not about that. We do this once a year for you. For me, I'm, I'm grateful. Jessica and I met around our table, and I, we, we're like doing the calculations, and, it's a, and we're like, man, let's do it. Because I know what God's going to do for us. I can't outgive him. We can't outgive him. You can't. That's what offering fit for a king is about. So when we stand up in just a minute, the band's going to play. They're going to play this song again, Living Hope, because that's what we have when we talk about giving and God's promises. We don't have a dead hope. We don't have a hope that's buried in a grave, as Pastor Matt said a little bit ago. We have a hope that's alive. That's living in heaven right now. And we have access to that through the Holy Spirit right here. All, everything God said in his word, all his promises we have access to because Jesus Christ is our living hope. So our, our leaders are going to come right now. They're going to come first. I told you a couple weeks ago and last week that, you know, you may wanted to give first and have the opportunity, but you don't get that opportunity because I believe leaders should go first. We want to set the example. We want you to know that we're doing first before you ever even, we, we're showing you that we're putting our money where our mouth is too. I didn't mean that literally, but it kind of came out that way. <laughs> we're, we're going first. So if, if our leaders can just come on, and uh, I want to give you the opportunity to stand right now. If you have tithes and offerings today or, or anything that you were planning on giving today, we want you to come as soon as they, they give, and we want you to put it in here. And what we want you to do is we want you just to kind of walk out the aisle this way to your left and this aisle over here and just come down, and then you can exit this way and, and go back to your seat because I'm going to come back up in a minute and pray, okay? So let's, let's do this now as we, as we give together.